0: Hello, you're listening to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. I'm Colin Wood, Managing Editor of State Scoop. This is our cloud services episode, and it is sponsored by eCloud Managed Solutions. The guests on this episode are Jessica Jones, Chief Technology Officer of Arkansas, and Alan Cunningham, Chief Information Officer of Nevada, for just one month now. He's a newer CIO, and in addition to talking about cloud, we also take a few detours into some of the cloud-adjacent topics that he's considering as he sizes up the role. After these interviews, there's a bonus chat with Eric Sanders, managing partner of our sponsor. Okay, up first, here's Alan Cunningham. All right, I'm here with Alan Cunningham, CIO of Nevada, and we're talking about cloud services. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Alan.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for the invite.
0: So uh, you started on August 31st, I believe. You were, the, you were with Washoe County, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Washoe County School District. That's correct. Could you give a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, certainly. The, back when I was first hired, the Washoe County School District uh, identified a need to have a security office. They have, you know, when you count students and staff, over 76,000 users on their system and they identified that they needed a security office so i got hired as the information security officer and we stood up the security department wrote all the policies and procedures uh, started socializing those uh, working on training for all the staff and students Uh, we were we go out to schools and give presentations Uh, we do online training uh, just helping people out with, with everything that we could And was pretty successful uh, for that for four years. And then the opportunity came up for the state CIO position and I interviewed and was lucky enough to uh, get chosen as the the person to fulfill the role.
0: Right. And so we're going to talk about cloud services. And the last time we spoke, we talked a little bit about the comparison between uh, the needs of a school district and... Of a state government and you'd mentioned the the much more expansive needs of a state government compared to uh, a a school district which is something i imagine we'll we'll figure into this conversation and and also just to help frame what we're talking about you also talked about looking at the challenges that come with a transition a long-term transition to remote work now that the initial scramble to to get everything up and running is more or less settled. You're looking now at like the legal aspects of what would come with a remote working environment and, and surely cloud services figures prominently into that transition. Um, And then you're also facing the larger challenge of uh, ostensibly larger challenge of the state's general budget challenges. And then on top of that, your, your own agency, the, enterprise IT services division. I think that's what it is. IETS. Okay. Uh, The kind of legacy of of that funding model, which is a chargeback model and trying to get dedicated funding and so forth. So given all of that, can you give uh, give everyone a rundown of the state's current cloud services initiatives and its maturity level? And how, how are you thinking about the state's cloud uh, offerings these days?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, I would say it's very mature. We have a few of our larger agencies who are on Office 365. Uh, With most things with state government, uh, change is always an issue. Some people don't want to change, Uh, but I think certainly the COVID has really helped. Push that forward at a much much faster rate uh, because you know people were not allowed in the offices for the longest time. So our implementation of Office 365, especially at Teams, uh, helped our uh, staff still communicate and still keep government running because it never stops. Uh, while the situation uh, matured and changed, and to go back to the remote uh, working uh, topic. You're right. We're we're now over the technical hurdles. Now we really got to start looking at HR hurdles and how do we how do we face this moving forward? You know, if we hire a a programmer, for instance, who could quite easily do 100% of their work via remote, how does that work with workers' compensation at the home? Do we have to make changes to job descriptions that say, okay, you must have a minimum speed of X megabytes a second uh, in your your home. You have to have an office that is quiet. And how does that restrict people who are just getting on the property ladder who maybe live in a studio or they share uh, with uh, other people? So I think there's a lot of uh, HR-type Issues and insurance issues that we have to look at as an empl- as employers. Uh, how do we evaluate staff that we we don't see? How do we measure productivity? Uh, those are things which the private sector has been dealing with pretty successfully over the past, I you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, but in government, we are a bit less a bit a bit less used to that. We're always used to being in the office with. Everybody we need to have around us. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the state legislator who meet back again in February. Uh, if, if everybody can go back to the way things were, or how do we build in the new technology that we have to to make people feel as safe as possible and still have them contribute to government moving forward.
0: Right. So at EITS or throughout the Nevada state government, I suppose I should say, uh, what is the approach to cloud governance? Is it centrally managed by your division? How does that work?
1: Uh, it is at the moment for the Office 365. Uh, it's something that I, I've i been looking at closely because I think the with all the different agencies having their own IT departments, there are certain inefficiencies that happen because of that. Uh, I think there there could be efficiencies made by centralizing. And we've looked at, you know, the state of Utah, who about, I don't know, three, four, maybe five years ago, went through a similar uh, change. They went from a federate system to a more centrally managed system and saw huge savings, over $72 million in savings. Um, so it's definitely... Something I want to look at is certain agencies uh, like to have—I won't say their freedom, but they—they they have a lot of uh, in the, the, the innovation in their particular agencies. DMV is a prime example. Uh, they have a lot of innovation going on within their agency, which really doesn't translate well over the whole s- state government, but pieces of it would and i think we just have to and EATS as enterprise it services uh we need to look at what are our core strengths what do we what can we do well and stick to doing that and let the agencies carry on with what they do well which is part of the innovation but provide a good solid platform uh, for them to be able to build their innovation on top of if that makes sense
0: right yep yep so uh what kinds of concern uh, so you mentioned uh people not wanting to you know resistance to change and the last time we spoke you talked about one of your priorities being getting some wins under your belt and marketing those and building trust and so forth is that going to be an important strategy within the context of your your cloud efforts like the Office three sixty five rollout?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things that underpins everything we do. You know, if you, if we don't have trust with the agencies, you know, the agencies have to be able to rely that enterprise IT services can provide consistent high quality services, whether it's cloud, whether it's communications, uh, where it's voice over IP, and those other services which do lend themselves better to be, I say enterprise-wide, but government-wide. The phone systems is a prime example. You know, we've been looking at uh, getting a replacement for that in a unified messaging platform that we can use for everybody in the state and look at some of the savings that we can realize from that as opposed to having six or seven different phone systems that you need spare parts for that are going out of date you know are past end of life by a number of years uh, but the the problem always comes back down to funding and nevada was hit especially hard because a, a large part of our funding comes from room taxes and gambling taxes and through covid we've hit so hard uh, with the drop in tourism that uh, we're going to have some major cuts to look forward. I won't say look forward to, but we're going to have some major cuts coming as far as funding's concerned. So those the, the cuts in funding are definitely going to affect services. It's how can we minimize that? And it's going to put back a lot of the initiatives that we're trying to get out there because the money's just not there.
0: Hmm. One of the things that's happened over the pandemic is a lot of concepts about the value that it brings especially in state government has been made more apparent by all of the things that that all of the various agencies throughout all the state governments had to to turn to their it departments for um and for it seems like for some people maybe for some people higher in government, it was something of a revelation if not a revelation maybe just brought it more to their attention the fact that IT was so useful, and yet it also coincides with these uh, expected revenue shortfalls. Do you, do you have a sense of what your prospects are for getting better fund, if, if not better funded, at least a, a different kind of mechanism for, for funding the various efforts you want to undertake?
1: It really depends on the state legislator or legislative body, I should say. Uh, we do have a what we call BDR, a bill draft report, uh, that's being submitted to uh, have a technology fund, uh, mainly for proof of concepts and enterprise initiatives. Uh, because we work on a chargeback model, it's really difficult to onboard agencies to enterprise services like Office 365. Because we don't have any funding model to go and initially purchase the licenses, you know, So once we get the licenses, we get them in place, then we can charge on a monthly basis uh, for those licenses. But to get them all set up, you know, and move from legacy uh, email systems and move, you know, because everybody wants to have all their move, their their mail moved and get all that stuff done, that all takes some kind of funding. And at the moment we really don't have that pot of money we can use to make those initiatives as smooth as they could be. You know, a a lot of great staff. We got a lot of people who are working extremely hard to get these things done and working over and above, but really it, it just causes so much stress and slows down implementation because we have to jump through all these hoops to get funding to get the process moving. If we had the separate funding model where we could use that for certainly proof of concepts and initiative, uh, innovative issues, that would be great. Uh, hopefully legislators, the body will uh, agree with us and uh, let us have some kind of model with that and keep it with a continuation. You know, there's a lot of funding that, is being swept so you know with the huge shortfall in revenue coming in any monies that were hadn't been used were swept back into general fund and you know want to make sure that if we have a funding source that we can keep building on that funding source year over year as opposed to it gets swept and we can't use it for multi-year enterprise initiatives you know, the big one that comes to mind would be our unified communications platform you know, to replace our phone system which is, should have been replaced many years ago and you know, our staff have managed to keep it uh, operational uh, but finding parts, finding staff who are trained on it and there's no support anymore for it. So that's going to have to be replaced in uh, financial year twenty three twenty four but we need to start the process of a pilot program and figuring out what we're going to do for RFPs and those types of things like now and really it kind of started 12 months ago but then covid hit and a lot of things just stopped but unfortunately the system that we have isn't getting any younger and it's not getting any better and you know the worst worst scenario would be that it it just dies and we can't get spare parts for it, you know, which would be a severe impact on the state. And then we'd be forced into some kind of quick buy, which would not be as beneficial and would probably be more expensive than a planned rollout that we're looking at, at the moment.
0: Right. Yeah. And you mentioned support there. And uh, I think it's worth taking a quick detour here into something that... Another thing that you mentioned in our last conversation about hiring rules that have kind of come to everyone's attention given the remote work environment. Do you want to outline your thoughts on the possibilities there?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's it can be a double-edged sword. Uh, it it'll be good for those positions that are difficult to find a skill sets for. Um, you know, one thing we're we're really looking at as IBM mainframe support over the next five to 10 years, we have two agencies who are on the IBM mainframe or mainly on that. And they have no plans to move off the IBM mainframe for at least seven years. So from an enterprise IT services perspective, we need to be able to man that, provide support for it and, and, you know, there's no universities that i know of especially here in nevada who have you know mainframe classes you know, very few people who are training in that skill set that it takes to run maintain uh, the, the ibm mainframe on a daily basis because there's a lot of transactions go through that and once the we have a slew of retirements coming up in the next 5 years or so we're going to have issues trying to fill those positions so if we could fill those positions from outside state and have them as remote that would that's a it's a great option to to look at but then you got to look at the the optics from the the governor's side is you know why are we not employing nevadans to do those positions and you know the press don't look at what's going on behind they just look oh here's the headline for today we've got you know people from connecticut or whatever state it happened to be uh working uh for nevada state government why is that you know it, it's it's going to become a newer normal and i know private private companies have been doing this for many years you Now, if you find the, the proper talent then allowing them to have access or whether it's, you know, they come on site one week a month or whatever it happens to be. They work, private companies have worked for that. I have friends here in Nevada who work for companies on the East Coast and, you know, have done for several years. And they have a WebEx or a Zoom meeting, and that's what they do almost every day. And, you know, they're measured on productivity as their tasks are done. And before COVID hit, they were flying to offices back on the East Coast once a month or once every two months for a couple of days to do team meetings and uh, anything else that needed done that couldn't be done remotely. So they, there's a there's a large opportunity there. Uh, we need to open up our open ourselves up to not just a national economy from the remote networking side. Or the remote working side, but all international as well. You know, how do we? Can we leverage skill sets which are less expensive abroad than they are here? And then you, again, you get into the the discussion points on yeah, we should be spending the money in state, but then the reverse side of that coin is if it's too expensive to do here and we still, you know, if we, get, if we don't have the funds for it we have to get the best value for money we can and it's a balancing, a balancing act
0: hmm. Yeah, the whole, the whole ecosystem is uh, gets more complex and a little bit maybe less transparent, especially with uh, some of the cloud services we've been talking about. You don't necessarily know where those companies are based nor do you need to Maybe if you're if you're just consuming them,
1: yeah. I know a lot of the, the cloud services realise that there are regulations that you know state government has to abide by. You know, FedRamp being one of the biggest ones for government, and they're all FedRamp certified, and you can say where you want your data to to be within their structure. You know, so all that data has to stay within data centers in the US, even although. They have data centers all over the world. Uh, for instance, Amazon and Google and obviously Microsoft with Azure. Uh, but when you're setting those up, you know that's where your, governments, your governance comes in and you can say, well, look, you can't do that. You can't put it in Malaysia. You can't put it in China. It has to stay within the borders. So uh, the companies are working really well. At making that as transparent as possible and easy for you to find so you know when you go into the office 365 console you can tell which data centers are being used and where your data sits and you can specify those so that's uh i think that's good and it's gonna it's, it's people who are not really technically oriented that are going to have more questions you know that we need to figure out how to make it transparent for non-technical people. So when I'm talking to an agency head about office 365, how do I make sure that I communicate correctly that the, the service already has all those regulation, um, say regulations built in, but it satisfies all the regulations that they need to be satisfied.
0: Mm, right. I wanted to ask about other challenges that you anticipate with uh, the transition to more cloud services outside of what we've already covered. Is there anything else that that comes to mind that we didn't touch on?
1: I think there's there's going to be some issues with accountability, and that's both on the staff side or the team member side and on the management side. How do you how do you work? On a daily basis, remotely, and you know, so that you know you have teams on your your phone or whatever application it is you're using, Salesforce, whatever it happens to be. So there's no way of the the manager knowing is this person available for work, you know. So do you build in a new normal, which is hey, when you pop in online. You gotta be here you gotta be available for between these hours, which are your normal working hours. and then when you go to lunch, let you know, make the changes and the status so that the manager knows and can see who's available and who's not. Uh, the and those challenges are just are gonna something we just have to work through and learn. And you know, we we've had several instances of people who are not where they need to be, uh when they should be there and so we're dealing with those as they come up and we're working to try and put some guidelines uh for work-life balance you know so if, for instance i i like to do work in the evening so i maybe send some of my team members a, an email at nine o'clock they need to know that they don't have to answer that until next working day you know, i'm not expecting people to be working all hours of the night and, you know, some of the figures that are being banded around for increases in productivity between 13 and 18%, it'd be really interesting to see how much of those figures were up, sorry, how much of that uh, increase in productivity was done outside of normal working hours.
2: Hmm. You know,
1: because it, it, what we're going to face is we're going to face burnout. And with talented individuals and talent being difficult to find sometimes we need to be cognizant of that fact of burnout so that we don't lose good people too early
0: right all right great uh i think we did a fair job there is there is there anything else any parting thoughts anything else you wanted to to put out yeah, into I, the universe
1: no i well i just think that you know we're, we're we're looking at new flexibilities you know we have to be flexible uh we have to look at the new uh, tools that are becoming available like chatbots. And, you know, it's great. It's a, you know, people like to say, oh, it's a bright new shiny toy. It's, well, it's not, it's a business tool. And how do we, uh, especially in government, we don't have ROI. We don't have return on investment. So it's really difficult to do dollars. So we really do return on mission. So how effective are we being at communicating our message to our citizens and how are we uh, how are we satisfying our citizens' needs from a technology perspective. And, of course, assisting the governor's office when they have questions and how, how can you use this new technology to make life better for our citizens, especially when they're interacting with uh, government entities. There's a lot of good things that we can do there, but people have to be able to trust it. And it goes back to the beginning of the call and talking about building trust not just with our internal agencies but with our citizens how do we guarantee or give as much of a guarantee as we possibly can that their data is safe that safeguards are in place you know they there was a big ransom <coughs> excuse me ransomware attack on hospitals uh, from Sunday morning forward so they have some issues um, Clark County School District, had a ransomware attack three or four weeks ago, and I think I just read today that the hacker had actually published some of the data that they'd stolen uh, because uh, Clark County refused to pay the ransom, which is the right way to do it. Uh, but we're going to see more and more of that uh, in the future. How do we, how do we, how do our citizens trust us with their data? It's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big question
0: yeah absolutely we'll have to return to that one on another episode i think thanks alan i really appreciate you coming on and uh yeah thank you
1: no problem thank you very much for the invite it's always good to talk tech with uh people who understand
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to thanks okay that's part one of the podcast now here's jessica jones Okay, I'm here with Jessica Jones, Chief Technology Officer for the Arkansas Division of Information Systems. Thanks for returning to the Priorities Podcast, Jessica.
3: Thank you so much, Colin. It's a pleasure, and thank you for the invite.
0: So, absolutely. So, um, I'd hoped to get you on here to to learn a little bit more about your current cloud efforts and dig into that a little bit in the context of. The pandemic and even separately from that just you're you're thinking about where the state is headed so uh, i think a good place to start is to give everyone an idea of what the environment looks like today so how would you explain the current status of your cloud efforts
3: um that's a great question and and i would say that the status of cloud here in arkansas is both uh, current planning and underway um, you know, as a state, we're taking advantage of the different service models from cloud providers, um, and also, of course, you know, the pandemic has accelerated accelerated some of our cloud efforts where we needed to get applications up and running in no time. We have several applica- applications across the executive branch running on cloud infrastructure, so I would say that we have started adopting more of a software as a service solutions in the last couple of years. Um, Specifically here at the Division of Information Systems, we have our IT financial management system and our IT service management system, both uh, in the cloud. Of course, we have Office 365 and our endpoint monitoring system. All those components are running in the cloud. We have other instances where, for example, the Department of Personnel Management It's currently implementing a cloud-based solution to manage various HR functions. And there's, you know, another effort going on uh, regarding e-procurement as well, hosted in the cloud. So, uh, you know, along with that, we have multiple agencies that have critical applications that are taking advantage of the infrastructure as a service model. The Department of Human Services has a couple of applications that are hosted in the cloud and... So many other agencies continue to explore the different service offerings from cloud providers. So we have others that are exploring cloud storage options. And um, we're also currently working with an agency for a platform as a service model to develop applications. Um, And just another effort that we're starting to explore is the migrating legacy client service systems towards microservices and containers that can be moved and scale across cloud platforms. So we're starting now by deploying to our private cloud environment by using technologies that are easily shift or expanded to public cloud as needed. So as you can see, uh, you know, by the many different examples that I just provided, we are in the planet stage and in the underway stage.
0: Right, sure, sure. But uh, if if my memory is is working properly right now, it sounds like things are Further along in, in in some substantial ways compared to a few years ago, I remember hearing mm-hmm. about the status of some of these efforts. And if I remember right, you saying that things were relatively immature and that you were just sort of figuring stuff out. And It sounds like you're really kind of on the road to getting this stuff done now.
3: Absolutely. And like I mentioned, you know, and of course, you know, talking about the pandemic, uh, you know, the pandemic... There's no question that it accelerated our cloud efforts. Um, I think it drove home the importance of leveraging cloud services and being able to respond to rapidly changing IT needs during a pandemic, or you know, it could be another uh, national incident. Um, so, with a sudden and unexpected shift to an almost completely remote workforce, uh, with education being delivered virtually. We're really, uh, the pandemic really tested our ability to extend our state network level security on such a large scale. Um, You know, I'm grateful that just months before the sudden uh, swell of the pandemic, we had already deployed critical tools uh, such as Microsoft Teams across executive branch. Uh, So this key cloud service allowed us um, to provide our employees to do remote work. So collaboration and video conferencing were two of the most critical functionalities uh, of Office 365 that we were able to leverage to continue to do our jobs. Um, also with the pandemic, many agencies saw the need to introduce new technologies in order to meet the demands of the citizens. And you and you heard this from many other states, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, the Department of Health and the, the, the Division of Workforce Services, they implemented several um, SaaS solutions in light of the need to speediness. So there were also a couple of cloud-based virtual agents or chatbots right whether it was voice or text that oh. agencies are now leveraging to provide assistance in real time 24/7 so this is allowing us to be more agile this is not allowing us to to be able to scale and you know with the virtual agents uh, as you know it allows our help desk professionals to save time and assist more important cases rather than just answering repetitive questions so I do, I've seen across um, our agency departments that they're they're starting to see the benefit. Um, we're still uh, with the cloud strategy of, you know, being cloud smart or right, or cloud right, what we call here in Arkansas, where we understand that there's, there's gonna be instances where some of the applications are not gonna be a good fit for cloud.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, so one of the things that, you know, I like to ask this question, even though I think a lot of people might be sick of hearing about the pandemic. And as you mentioned, uh, the, the story does tend, to, at least some of the major plot points tend to be the same in each state. But I'm interested to hear how you think which elements of the shift to remote work will stick around and which ones will not and you know if we could frame if i can frame my question around the uh you know this topic of cloud do you have any sense of how much of this stuff is going to influence a post-pandemic government operations outfit and how much is going to go back
3: well you know we've been back in the office for i want to say almost you know three months now But I think, you know, any state, and especially not Arkansas, we're better positioned now. I think as CIOs, we were tested greatly, right, to be resilient and to to make sure that we were still providing those services to our citizens uh, via mobile apps or or any kind of digital means uh, that we didn't have before. Uh, We did see some agencies where they were still utilizing paper-based or face-to-face, Interaction, so it was the 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 option of or well, not an option, but it was more of the need of implementing something fast. And whenever I said fast, it was like matters of you know week, two weeks, we have got to do something. So I think you know we are better prepared uh, for you know in case we there's a need to go for us to go remote. Um, I don't. I'm not saying that we're 100 percent prepared, but I think. You know, we become a little bit more resilient, and you know, for for my perspective, you know, talking to the team, you know, we talked about, you know, now going forward, you know, now paying attention to any implementation of any new technology that we bring in, you know, how is that going to play if, you know, there was another, um, I don't want to say pandemic, but another national emergency, right? Just to make sure that that we're thinking in those terms, um, making sure that there's redundancy, making sure that it there's availability twenty four seven for those applications.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, disaster recovery and continuity of operations plans were something that I always heard about before the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. it seems like everyone sort of separately decided after the pandemic happened that what they had wasn't really good enough and the sort of the there's a little bit more oomph behind that, uh, all of that now it seems like. Okay, so, um, one of the things I wanted to ask about was, uh, at, at NASIO last year, you mentioned, uh, at the physical NASIO conference, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned that, uh, some of the work on your data center consolidation and uh, getting ready to work with a systems integrator. Um, mm-hmm. so could you talk a little bit about? how Where those efforts are today, and how cloud computing wraps into those
3: oh absolutely um you know the vision of our data center optimization is of course tied to cloud efforts um, today, the systems integrator recently completed the discovery phase of all i t infrastructure and applications across all the state departments um, so by doing so, they've discovered that there we have currently close to 3,000 servers that are mapped to over 1,000 business applications um, also it was apparent uh, that we have many legacy systems that before being able to be moved to the cloud there will need to be some upgrading or replatforming of those applications and of course you know that entails the need for investment so legacy modernization, uh, will be an aspect that will need to be addressed when assessing the applications and workloads to determine which are fit for private or public cloud. And you know, along with that, we've made investments to improve our service delivery platforms uh, where needed. We've made investments to overhaul and replace our IT financial management system, as I mentioned you know, just a second ago, and our IT service management system, and both of which are cloud-based solutions.
0: Mm, right. How are your uh, customer agencies responding to these various upgrades? Have you received much pushback from your customer agencies?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I think that the majority of and I mean, I don't want to call it pushback, but there are some constraints that we all deal with. And, and ultimately, it comes back to budget. Right. And it comes back to prioritizing. Um, so, you know, some of the agencies, if, if they have an, a, an application, but it's not critical to uh, delivering of services, they might not, you know, put the, bu- the budget towards, you know, modernizing that particular application. So I, you know, I don't want to call it they're, you know, not willing, but it's just more of, you know, the challenges that they have in front of them, uh, which again, it goes back to, to budget and uh, and priorities.
0: All right. so. What's next? What's coming in the months and years ahead? That aside from what you've mentioned already in terms of the upcoming projects,
3: right? I think uh, we're still going to continue to work uh, towards achieving the the four goals that we had set forth in our two thousand nineteen uh, Arkansas Cloud Strategy. Uh, you know, of course, you know our goals are to reduce co- reduce costs and redundancy. You know, want to make sure that we reduce the data center footprint, um, that we recognize and reduce duplication in environments, make sure that we increase our agility, You know, by simplifying management of the environment, um, increasing the procurement efficiency, or improve the scalability and elasticity. Um, so to me is continuously improve, um, you know, take advantage of innovations and in optimizing infrastructures for service delivery, Um, you know, reduce business operational and security risk and ensure ongoing service levels for operations and security and monitoring. Um, So it's all about how do we improve our our services uh, from our perspective and how do we set uh, the state uh, as a resilient state, uh, as a secure state, and, you know, and, and set it in a place where we can start modernizing and to start bringing in newer technologies uh, when needed.
0: Right. All right. Great. Any parting thoughts, recommendations for your counterparts elsewhere, whether about the pandemic or cloud or anything else that we talked about?
3: Mm-hmm. I think um, I want to say that the majority of my peers were probably you know, around the same, but um, when it comes to cloud, what I've seen is starting small uh, goes a long way. Um, you know, there's there's concerns from agencies when when we start talking about cloud, right? And the concerns by expressed by the customers that you know, how can you guarantee the security of my data, or you know, how do I ensure that I'm going to securely access my data, or you know how am i going to get my data back if you know if i decide to change strategies uh, you know what kind of contracts can i put in place to make sure my data is protected and reliable and you know the main one will my cost increase after migration to the cloud so these are really good questions these are really good concerns uh but it's just you know one step at the time uh starting small with the small business cases where where you can address some of those concerns where we can get um, some experience for, you know, migrating to cloud, whether it is infrastructure as a service, whether it is software as a service or platform as a service, it's just start small. You are the advisor. You, you can recommend, uh, you can bring vendors to the table and just pretty much, you know, tell them that this is, this is my, uh, my business case. What, you know, what can you offer? How can you help us? And make the decision after that.
0: Right. Great. Thanks so much for being a guest, Jessica. Really appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much, Colin. I enjoyed it.
0: Okay, that's it for the CIO interviews. Now here's State Scoop's Jake Williams interviewing Eric Sanders, managing partner of eCloud Managed Solutions.
2: So we are here with Eric Sanders, managing partner of eCloud Managed Solutions. Eric, thanks for being here. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for being here. So so Eric, Colin just wrapped up a, a great conversation with two CIOs about cloud services, but I want to talk to you a little bit about what you're seeing across the public sector. So, so tell me what you're seeing from folks in the public sector when it comes to cloud services, especially during the coronavirus pandemic.
4: Yeah, no, great question. So one of the things that we're seeing is just better collaboration tools and the research into additional collaboration tools Of course, increased bandwidth with people being remote and having to work remote with really no timeline and when they're gonna go back to their offices. Um, We're also seeing desktop as a service. So where can they have a virtual desktop to allow them secure authentication into their environment to access records and public information um, and even sensitive data um, in a controlled fashion? And then really one of the last areas that we're seeing you know, backup and restore, and then disaster recovery as a service? How can they have better uptime and improvement now that things are really being pushed online, along with those users not being in the office to really check on some of this equipment? Um so be able to have more automated failover and, and backup and recovery.
2: And you know, I mean, I think the the latest stat from NASIO says that, you know, about ninety percent or so of, of states have something in the cloud, not necessarily everything in the cloud, but but there are certainly still state governments who are considering moving some big operations to to the cloud. So when, when you're uh, talking to these folks, how should some of the state government agencies who are considering moving some operations to the cloud really start off that cloud journey? And what key things should they be keeping in mind?
4: I think one of the key things is you know disaster recovery and backup and restore. Um, being able to store that in the cloud typically becomes much cheaper, especially for the long term type retention and compliance that some of the records are needed. Um, Disaster recovery is another area that we think is uh, a great opportunity to, you know, have a pilot light type um, scenario or even uh, what we'll call a cold or warm type scenario to be able to, you know, really spin up that environment and have it be ready in case your primary infrastructure goes down. Uh, Another area we think is a really great option for the cloud is IoT. We see a lot of water and utility, um, you know, departments out there pushing data. Um, back to uh, the production environment, where it could be a great option to move it to the cloud and take advantage of that public cloud platform and IoT services that they have available to do AI, ML, and some predictive analysis um, with that, or even be able to find where there's a water leak in a particular area because we're seeing you know, an increase in uh, you know, water usage in a particular part of town or the city.
2: You know, I think one of the, the things that distinguishes eCloud is, is the fact that you work across multiple vendors and, and work with folks to, to pick really the solution that's right for them. When you're advising state and local governments on this decision, what are some of the most important factors for them to consider when it comes to vendor selection for cloud?
4: Yeah, with vendor selection, of course, making sure that they have the right certifications and have the right experience um, and really making sure they understand the methodology. You know, with any project that we do for a customer that we're looking at moving them to the cloud or they're considering it, you know, are they truly vendor agnostic or are they carrying a particular public or public providers flag? Let's just say AWS. Um, The methodology itself, you know, making sure you understand the cloud readiness assessment and what the deliverables are, the migration and what the shared responsibility uh, matrix really looks like and, and how you access data in the cloud. And then what responsibilities does the customer have that they need to be prepared for as they look at this cloud strategy and this cloud migration? Um, That's one of the things that we see that really takes customers by surprise is when we migrate an application into the cloud, it's really their responsibility to do the user acceptance testing. It's their application. They're the ones that know it better than, of course, the consulting uh, partner that they selected. So that's one area that we're going to really drive home to the client that they really need to understand what their role and responsibility is throughout this cloud journey and process.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and now, you know, kind of bringing it all together and, and looking forward to the future. What does, from your perspective, the future of cloud services in the public sector look like? And how do you see it evolving
4: going forward? Yeah, great question. So I think, you know, for public sectors, I think they need to get outside their comfort zone. And, but, but in a crawl, walk, run type scenario, where can you take advantage of cloud services that is truly consumption-based, pay for what you use as you go, uh, to be able to scale up and scale down resources as, as needed? Um, looking at the future of what, where cloud is going, the innovation that these cloud providers are pushing out on an annual basis is staggering. I mean, AWS, on average, pushes out 2,000 new products and services and updates every year. Now, even the largest client, an enterprise customer, isn't going to be able to take advantage, of course, to all of them. But for a state and local um, agency, town, city, utilities, the innovation is there. And that platform is so robust currently today that there are so many services that they can take take advantage of to really drive automation, really drive serverless technology. You know, For instance, if I want to go to the DMV and I need to renew my you know, driver's license do I have to go there and get a picture again, or can I just upload a photo? You know, it looks like me, I have some AI to make sure that that picture from my old photo looks like the same guy in the new photo. Um, Or if, you know, I say the picture's fine and I can renew it for another two or three years, driving that sense of automation um, for, for the agencies is just gonna be make them more efficient, which of course will drive down costs. I think those are the areas that, when we talk to public sector, you know, we really try to drive home to let's start slowly. Let's look at areas where we can leverage the public cloud and where those services are available um, that you know can take this off somebody else's hands and make them do more revenue generating or more operational efficiency projects that they may tr- they may be trying to do within that particular uh, department or agency.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Eric, you 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 said it all: Internet of Things, automation, all kinds of amazing and interesting things coming to the cloud soon. But thank you so much for being here with us today and talking about cloud in the public sector.
4: Thank you. And I appreciate you having me.
0: All right, that's it for this episode. For more coverage of state and local government IT news, go to statescoop.com.